einer neuen Folge von The Canadian Wants to Know. Ein Podcast für Englischlernende in Deutschland, der kraftvolle Geschichten und anregende Fragen nutzt, damit ihr auf unterhaltsame Weise eure Sprachkenntnisse verbessern, vertiefen und festigen könnt. Hier ist euer Host, The Canadian George Robledo. Welcome to my podcast, Danny. It's a, I have to call you Danny. It's weird to call you Daniel. We, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. We're basically brothers. Basically. Uh, <laughs> in uh, one of my episodes, I talked about Texas and that whole saga. Oh, for real? So, I, I got to go back I, I and listen to that one. Yeah. For those who don't know, who are you? Let's give, um, give us a short, the short version of who you are. Okay, okay. Well, I'll try to keep it simple. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm 30 years old. I was born in Venezuela. I was raised in Atlanta. And then when I was uh, 18, I moved to Argentina. Then I lived in Chile and in Uruguay for a bit, uh, but mostly in Argentina. And I've been living in Paraguay for the past five and a half years almost. Crazy, so, crazy. Uh, so you're all yeah, over the a, place, basically like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think also like you, you've also found a place and kind of settled down, uh, just like myself, you know? Yeah. In my 20s, I didn't think this would ever happen. Like in my 20s, my, my life was about traveling, seeing new places, meeting new people. But the day I turned 30, like something switched in my brain. I'm like, nah, I need to find a place to call home, like set up some roots. And uh, yeah, I found it here in Freiburg, Germany. Five yeah. mm -hmm. Okay, Five yeah, because when, when I went to the OC, you were still in Hanover and Hanover. Exactly, I was in the north, but uh, now I'm in the south. It's it's beautiful. You have to come and visit. Uh, I would love to. But love today to. we're going to talk about your family's story. Yes. Right? We, in the news, you hear a lot about a particular group of people, but we hear about it in the abstract. We hear of numbers of people who are undocumented. But now we're going to actually hear from someone who experienced that. And uh, so can you tell me a little bit about why your family decided to leave Venezuela? It's not the typical immigrant story. We didn't come from like a poverty stricken context to where like we had nothing and this was our only way out as it is for like many immigrant families, you know, we weren't in a war-torn country. Venezuela, like, as opposed to what it is right now, is actually, like, one of the most prosperous countries in the Western Hemisphere, pretty much throughout, from the 50s up until, like, the early 90s. So my parents, like, they both came from poor families, but, like, things were okay enough for them to actually start building something. So they were probably, like, lower middle class. Um, so they didn't really have a necessity to leave Venezuela. But my dad's always been ambitious. He's always had big dreams and big goals. And with him and his friends, uh, they just decided one day playing dominoes at, at at my house there in Venezuela, they're like, yo, why don't we go to the U.S.? And um, that, that, that was pretty much it. It was just a spontaneous decision with crazy repercussions when you think about it. I mean, my dad, granted, he was only like 26 at the time. So I think of my 26-year-old self and being that, you know, having that free and kind of reckless mentality, I guess it kind of makes sense. But he did have two kids and a wife. So uh, a little bit of a questionable decision, but I think in the end, things worked out okay. So that's kind of the motivation for leaving, just wanting something better. Yeah, my dad was 29 with three kids. Oh, <laughs> kind of yeah. similar. <laughs> yeah, so he ends up in Canada with two suitcases, cannot speak one word of English, has no contact, like no family, nothing. And uh, now they got to make it work in Canada. What was the journey like 
Oh, okay. So like it's it's different, you know. Um, we had a, a very distinct journey because my dad was able to get a tourist visa, like many people in South America. Um, they would get tourist visas um, and just overstay their visas, you know, to stay and live in the U.S. So that's what my dad did with a few of his friends. And so they went and they lived there for about a year. And my, my mom and my brother and I, we couldn't get our tourist visas to go and stay with my dad um, <laughs> illegally that way. So there's, there's, there's different levels to being illegal. Um, I guess is what I'm trying to say with this part of the story. So my dad was able to overstay his visa, but we couldn't get that visa, which is a privilege, huge privilege for people, especially if you live farther away from the U.S., you know, like in South America or another continent or something, you know. Um, so we, my mother and my brother and myself, we, we went to Mexico and we lived in Mexico for about, I don't remember exactly, I think it was about a month. To me, it seemed like forever um, went out because I was five years old. My brother was two years old. And so we stayed with some friends of my dad from church that he had met in Atlanta because he was already living in Atlanta. And some of his friends had friends in Reynosa, which is up northern Mexico, close to the border. So we went and stayed with them for a few weeks while they prepared everything. And um, then we set off on the journey to cross the border. So that's why, like, going back to the levels of this, you know, it's like even just crossing the border, like you had mentioned I don't know if you mentioned this in the beginning or in the recording, but like um, there are people who cross the desert, right, to, you know, get to the U.S. illegally. But then you can also cross the Rio Grande um, and then trek a little bit through the desert. But then you're closer to like civilization. So it's not that big of a risk, um, like a day's journey. It's more of like a day journey, but you can drown and a million things can happen to you, you know. So uh, my brother and I, we didn't have to cross the river like the, the coyote, who's the person who uh, or coyote, the person who crosses you illegally. Um, she crossed my brother and me with fake documents, like as if we were her children. And I remember that <laughs> actually, it's one of, it's like very early memory that I have. And so we crossed no problem. Uh, we got out of a car, stepped out. She crossed us like her children, all good. And then my mom tried crossing with fake documents, but they didn't accept those. So she had to cross with another group of women just through the river. And then we met up in McAllen, which is, uh, city in southern texas which is right across the border from where we crossed and from mccallan we took a plane to dallas and in dallas we met up with my dad and we drove to atlanta from dallas so that was kind of like the experience and all like the kind of different levels to being able to you know get to the country stay there and do it in whichever possible way yeah, it was just kind of like your dad had this goal for himself like I think a lot of us in Latin, a lot of people in Latin America, they look at America as the land of opportunity, right? The land of milk and honey, and uh, they they want a piece of that too. Yeah, definitely. Um, something I, I I find that gets lost in this whole talk about building a wall is that I think about forty percent of people who are undocumented in the United States came uh, by plane. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, so and I don't even know if, you think, if, if that wall will really keep out. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. That wall is symbolic more than anything. It's more of just like, a, hey, don't come here. Okay, you got it. Because <laughs> yeah. if you but think it about it, like solve any structural problems. No, not at all. Out of the four people in my family, only one would have probably been deterred by that wall. You know, because <laughs> my brother and I went over, you know, illegally, but still, um, and my my dad flew. So, you know, it's like, okay, sure, cool wall. I don't know. 
What about growing up? I know you grew up in Atlanta, right? What yeah. was that like? A childhood? Um, where, like, could you go to school? Could you go to the doctor? What about for for your parents to get jobs? Like, what was that like? Uh, okay, so those are that's that's a lot to unpack, uh, just because. Um, it's, it's, it's a complex thing and it's hard to just answer simply, but, um, just going to the basic necessities, right? Like education and healthcare. So there's a lot of loopholes in the U S um, in Latin America for anything that you have to do, you got to give your, your ID number, your, your numero soda or your numero DNI or whatever, you know, to be able to register for any kind of thing, you know, even to buy things. Sometimes I ask you for your document number. Um, but in the U S there's so many loopholes to where it's like, you can't ask for, or I don't know if you can't, or they just don't, but ask for proof of like legal status or residency to get an education. So it's like, you can be illegal and still go to the public schools. Right. And, um, healthcare, you're not getting anything for free, but they can't turn you away. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean, most immigrants and, um, especially illegal immigrants live in poor communities, marginalized communities. So what we are getting is, the worst schools and um, probably little to no access to healthcare, and it's never affordable. Especially if you're illegal, you can't access like free healthcare or Medicaid or any of that stuff because you don't have documents. You have to be able to have documents to get that stuff. So you're kind of like on survival mode all the time, trying to like live with what you have and not need anything from anybody else. You know, especially the state. Did your friends know you were undocumented? What was that like? Like, did you carry like a sense of shame about it or you were open about it? What was that like? Oh, man, this is actually like one of like the biggest things for me about having been illegal. Um, you know, so I, I, I grew up in poor neighborhoods, of course, like black and brown neighborhoods. And um, at church, you know, Hispanic church, um, everybody knew everybody's legal status at church, you know. So I was like, all my friends from church knew I was illegal and most of my friends from church were illegal. And we kind of understood each other in that way. It was like a different type of intimacy, you know, um, because it's like the, the close community. But, um, dude, like everything having to do with like going to school and meeting everybody or having relationships with people outside of that close social circle, it was always a huge source of shame. You know, it was like, you can't be open about that. Well, for one, like my mom was super, super insisting that this has to be our biggest secret ever that nobody can know, you know, because then we can get deported or whatever, uh, especially don't tell white people about us because then they might call the cops on us. You know, I'll never tell the cops the truth. Just all this stuff is like we always live with a sense of fear that translated into shame. Right. Uh, because especially like when I started making more white friends, you know, and they would talk uh, like even just like negative or just just. Uh, dis- kind of discriminatory things towards like illegal people and stuff like that. And I would just have to like, just swallow my words or laugh or just not say anything. And I, I don't know, I guess I just had the privilege of, you know, having good diction and being very curious. So I was always, you know, like I wasn't necessarily like caught up in the wrong crowd most of the time. So I would end up, especially like when I went to high school, my parents took me out of the inner city schools and sent me to a private uh, high school like a private Christian school where it was mostly white kids. And there it was a huge sense of shame because they were all wealthy and um, being illegal was like something so far from their reality. that It was just kind of like a joke, you know? So it was like, 
you know, you can't go on any vacations or anything that they ever talk about. You, I probably couldn't go on fancy vacations outside of the country, even if we had papers just because we didn't have any money. But just the prospect of just like being like, oh, yeah, I can't leave the country. Like, oh, no, I can't go with you on vacation to Mexico, you know, because then I won't be able to come back to the country. But you can't say that, you know, so you're always dealing with a sense of shame and like finding ways to communicate or avoid situations or questions, you know. Um, I kind of resented some friends or some people who were open about their legal status, you know, because I kind of felt like they were outing me as well, because if they're going to be like, Oh yeah, no, I can't do that because I'm illegal. I'm like, dude, like, come on. Like, we don't talk about that. You know? Um, I don't know. It's like, now that I think about it, I'm super open. Like now at this point in my life, just cause that sense of shame was so difficult to live with. Um, that at this point in my life, people are like, oh, but you sound American. I was like, nah, dude, I was illegal my whole life in the U.S. I'm not American. I'm from Venezuela, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it kind of messes with your identity a little bit. So you would never call yourself American, even though the majority of your formative years were, were in America. Yeah, in, I know. In the United States. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I would never call myself American. I would never say that I'm from the U.S., or consider myself like a part of that uh, nationality or national identity, really, just because, you know, you always felt ostracized. You never felt like you could belong there, you know, but I mean, as far as feeling like you are from somewhere, I feel like I'm from Atlanta, you know, like I feel identified with the people of Atlanta, but to me, Atlanta means a lot more than the U S or America or whatever, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's the city and, and its people and, and the relationships and the stories and the experiences that you had in that place and its sports teams too. <laughs> yeah, go Braves. <laughs> yeah, First absolutely. World Series since 1995. What do you tell people Right, because we'll get a little political. Because I think some people who who listen might say, "Hey, George, you're just trying to be political. You're trying to push a particular political narrative, and that's why you you're, you have Dan Danny on on your podcast." Yeah. What do you tell someone <laughs> who says, "You guys broke the law. You guys need to be sent back." I mean, it's it's a. I mean, honestly, at this point in my life, I, w- I, I wouldn't even engage in that conversation. I'd just be like, all right, dude, whatever, and just walk away, you know? Because, um, I mean, I guess they have a point, you know? But it's kind of like mixing science with humanity, you know? It's like these laws are set in a way that they just completely neglect and disregard the human experience and even geopolitical relationships, you know? And even reality itself, none of the service jobs that are done in the U.S. could get done without a system that enables uh, illegal migrant work. So that's kind of where the conversation should start if we're going to talk about legality, because that legality is superimposed on a social and political system as well um, that has created this. Dude, you don't get 12 million people that are in a country illegally without encouraging that system you know so there's a lot of double speak there you know like a lot of (laughs) there's nuance there's nuance to this conversation it's not black and white okay you broke the law get out because the thing is when i look at the situation in canada it's extremely difficult to be um, illegal undocumented because it's like latin america you have to show papers for everything 
But in the United States, like you, you mentioned with the education system, they're not asking you. So they're kind of, there's like a gray zone there where like, as long as you're working out in the fields, picking our fruits so that we can go to the supermarket and get a really cheap price, we'll look the other way. Yeah. And you can build Just our houses. Just don't and stuff. make too much noise. <laughs> exactly. But America benefits so much from the work and labor. Dude, America was people. built on slavery. I mean, it's not the same thing. And I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, we went through the same thing as the slaves because that would be completely like inaccurate. But it follows it follows the same model of how the nation was built. You know, it's part of the culture. If, if you want to get like historical and political about it, you know, the wealth of the U.S. was built on slave labor, like 100 percent. Like you have 300 years of like having like a couple million people doing everything that you need for survival for free while your society prospers off of that, then that becomes illegal from one day to another. So what do you do? You subjugate those people so that you pay them the bare minimum um, and you can still keep your social position, you know? And that's what they did with black people up until they started getting immigrants in the U.S., you know? Mm -hmm. So there is nuance. There is nuance to this conversation. And for me, ideally, what I want is for people to sit down at the table across from each other, eat some food together. Uh, Mexican food or arepas, we can have some arepas and have that conversation instead of just kind of like being emotional and extreme about just get out or right, like whatever the other opposite position is. Germany also went through a, a mass, like um, like an immigration uh, influx in 2015. Um, and it, it created a lot of anxiety and it has had consequences on, on the political and social um, realities of this country. I don't know, right? Because I, I also see what Trump has done in, in the United States, and he uses these groups as a scapegoat. Right? And then I wonder, like, is, like how, how do we minimize the fears of people? while also showing compassion for people coming from war zones or coming from insecure regions of the world. Like, is it possible to mitigate that? Or are we just destined to make like someone angry? <laughs> I think that's just, uh, I, I mean, honestly, that's just such a complex question because you got to take in, like, into consideration like hundreds of years of like colonialism and exploitation of like, the, of like Africa and, and like South America and, and Asia and stuff, you know? So it's like, when you get these waves of immigrants and from war zones or catastrophe areas, you know, like people fleeing Afghanistan right now or how people were fleeing Syria and everything back then, it's like, it's, it's more damage control because you're focused on just your own country. And then like, then you're also reaping the consequences of a system that has just caused all of these catastrophes you know it's like all of these wars like the syrians didn't just get this system out of nowhere you know um afghanistan isn't the way it is just because they wanted to be that way you know so it's like a lot of western involvement even the, the partition of africa you know and colonialism in africa up until pretty much the 20th century it's like then you get migrant waves and crises and everything and obviously you didn't build your system to be able to hold all these people or to be able to you know accommodate them and you're also not about to go to their country and fix their country so that they can go back and live with it so what do you do these are human beings you know um that's why it's like there's so many levels to it like especially like when you talk about war zones or catastrophe areas you know it's like 
th- those are huge influxes and like big problems that happen. I feel like in the U.S. it was more of a gradual thing, to where they just kept on habilitating and habilitating and habilitating. It's just like yes, 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 yes. Come, whatever, cool, you're illegal, but work. Um, and it wasn't necessarily caused by um, wars, but mostly by like economic disparity caused by like also economic policies imposed by the U.S. on their neighboring countries, but. So it's different, right? I don't know if we can 100% say that they're the same, but they do cause a lot of the same feelings when you want to use them as political tropes. Yeah, no, I, and I think reading history is very, very important here uh, because people don't just come here out of the blue. Like, So I have to ask myself, myself the question, if I see an influx of a million Syrians coming into Germany, like what is, what is the reason for it? It's not because they love Germany and, and they think this is like the greatest place on earth. There's a real political and historical reason for that. And how have we contributed? Because like if we'll be if we want to be honest, like who are the biggest arms dealers in the world? Who are providing all of these guns and tanks, missiles, rockets that are being launched in, in these countries? Number one, America, number two, Russia, number three, France, number four, Germany. Germany is a huge arms dealer. They provide a lot of the weapons that are used to destabilize regions around the world. Right? So I like I try my best to kind of like put myself in the place of someone living in, in a village in Afghanistan and say, okay, boom, I see these German, French, Russian, American bombs just exploding around me. I see family that's dead. Like, what do I do? Like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Well, that's right. why it's like <clears throat> you can't really have this conversation without getting to this part of it you know that's like that's why it's like oh so like like how is this similar like or like how do you think people should feel or how, or how should we approach it or like have a conversation you know about these feelings it's like well it's not just about these feelings it's about how these feelings were caused you know so it's like um we lose ourselves in these conversations and end up having debates and arguments because we're not really taking time to educate ourselves and to educate each other we just kind of want to like go with what our gut is telling me, whether it's that these immigrants shouldn't be here, that all these immigrants have a right to be here, no matter what either position I take, if I can't understand why I'm taking that position um, and the historical justifications for that, I shouldn't be talking about this to begin with. Yeah, so I think that would be step one. Uh, we need to get educated. We need to read. We, we need to understand what is it that leads to these unstable situations and what are some steps that could possibly be done in the long term. But in the short term, we have people who are drowning in the Mediterranean. Like, it, like and I see it myself, like if I see someone, I'm, I'm walking next to a lake and I see someone who's drowning, do I just like continue walking? Like what would be the human response to that? Imagine that's your mother. Imagine that's your brother. Like, what do you do? Do you just like continue and like as if that person doesn't exist? I don't think so. And that's why in the short term, like there are certain emergencies where we we take certain uh, maybe compassionate positions, but it's not a long-term solution either. Like to just say, hey, anyone who wants to come here can come here freely at any time for any reason 
I don't think that's a long-term solution either, unless we're doing something to stabilize those countries. Yeah, or unless you build a system that is open to receiving people and has frameworks that receive people. So like, for example, um, I, I have a lot of reservations about Argentina having lived there for so, for so long. But one of the positive things I can say about Argentina, politically speaking, is that their their legal policy says that anybody who wants to come and can prove that they just want to come live in their country and work um, has the right to do so. You know, they have one of the most like open migration policies in the world. And I think that's wonderful. You know, um, it's not the most open country to go live as an immigrant, but it's definitely a good model, you know, and it's not like the world wants to go live in Argentina, you know, because <laughs> the, um, the economy is not the best. Um, and there's not necessarily like the most amount of opportunities there for you, but it's a choice, you know, and even just going back to my original context, I'm from Venezuela. Like I'm literally was born in the country that's having one of the biggest migratory crises and has been having one of the biggest mi migratory crises for the past couple of years. You know, all of the neighboring countries of Venezuela, the number one immigrant group is Venezuelans. You know, like you spoke of people drowning in the, in the Mediterranean, there's people drowning in the Caribbean, Venezuelans. You know, going off the coast of Venezuela to, Trinidad, to right? yeah, to Trinidad, to Aruba, to Curacao, wherever, and like makeshift rafts, you know, and they're drowning and dying. And you know, Paraguay now, as of like the past two years, has had a huge influx of Venezuelan immigrants as well. You know, so it's like, yeah, everywhere in the world, we're everywhere, but because you can't eat, survive, or really even live in Venezuela anymore, and you haven't been able to for the past couple of years. One thing I, I also do think about is that migration is the most natural human tendency. Like I, I see humans have always moved. I'm in this place. Ah, you know what? Like I can't really farm. The weather is terrible. Man, I got to go to a new place. And humans have been doing that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, if not millions. And all of a sudden, in recent centuries, we've moved towards a, a different model of nation states. And now we say, okay, no, now you can't cross this imaginary line anymore. Um, so I, I find it's kind of like, I don't know if it makes sense. Like well, a lot of the things that humans do don't make sense. Like sitting in front of a screen all day is very unnatural, but we do it anyways. But it's very strange that for most of human history, that's the most natural thing we did. For example, in the United States today, you have 40 million German descendants. Canada, 10% of the Canadian population are German descendants. South America is full of German descendants. There was a, there was a time period where Germany was not a great place to live, so Tons, millions and millions of people migrated from this place. Right? And yeah. there's and German colonies everywhere. Yeah, every country I lived in in South America, I've always lived close to a German colony. There's German colonies everywhere, 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 everywhere. So that's something I, I think we forget, right? It's like, and I find that kind of like the hypocrisy of it. I judge people for doing something that I do myself. So, for example, um, the island of Mallorca in Germany, they call that the 16th state, because if you go to that island, which belongs to Spain, everything is in German. You, you turn on the radio, it's in German. You see uh, doctors and restaurants 
and dentists, everything in German. So, and a lot of these people also don't learn the Spanish language. So there is just a lot of hypocrisy, but we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of hypocrisy. Um, but I think that's what gets lost is we want to point the finger and say, okay, these people shouldn't do that. But I forget that I also engage with in, in similar behaviors myself. No, definitely for sure. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's really weird and a complicated thing to talk about because it's really beyond our control to be able to make a change as far as like what policies and laws are, you know, but we can make a change as far as how we perceive other people, especially immigrants, you know, and um, being able to humanize them and not just humanize them, but understand the human condition, you know, and how like our history and our nature is migration. How do you think, um, what, what do you think you would have liked um, to, how, how do you wish to have been treated as a, as a young person growing up undocumented in the United States? Well, we're talking about what I would have liked. I would have liked to not have been undocumented, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, just to begin with, you know, um, I, I just, there's no honor in being undocumented, you know, and it just gets all the more shameful the older you get, you know? By the time I was 15, all my friends were getting their driver's permits. I couldn't get a driver's permit or a license when I was 16, even though I knew how to drive. And my dad was teaching me how to drive, but I could only drive like in very specific areas where we knew there was no cops just in case, you know, because we're illegal. Like there's no way I could get a license. And um, yeah, then my friends started getting like cool summer jobs and stuff like that. And all I could do was work construction for my dad, you know? So, um, but that's more on a personal note, you know, I just, just the U S is such a strange place to grow up in, man. Like, as a person of color, you feel the discrimination for that, um, you know, like just flat out. It's very real. And um, then being illegal or even just people assuming you're illegal, you know, calling you all kinds of names and slurs uh, just because of the way you look. Um, you know, it's just like it would have been great to live without the discrimination and harassment by from the police and um I just, I don't think that there's anything necessarily that I would have liked to have been different. I would have just liked to not be illegal and just felt the same as any other kid, you know? Yeah, I think we all want that, right? We all want to belong. And that kind of like puts an extra burden on you that you didn't ask for. You didn't ask. What are some like positive things that you take away from that experience? Um, now that oh, you're man. older, you're 30 years old. You don't live yeah. in the United States anymore. Now, as no. you reflect back on that time period, do you um, take anything positive from it? Of course, man. Of course, of course. I take so many positive things from that. Not that I would want anybody else to ever go and live and be illegal anywhere. You know, I, I wouldn't really encourage that. But um, just the survive, like the survival skills you learn. You know. Um, just being very aware of your surroundings all the time, uh, knowing how to be subtle in communication. Um, you learn a lot of things, man. And you also just are always like in your own personal communities, like a church or in your neighborhood, you're surrounded by some of the most welcoming and hospitable and loving people. You know, you're surrounded by people of your own culture. You know, I, I don't know what other like positive experience I could have gotten from being illegal. Maybe learning how to work construction and like I can fix a lot of things now and I'm very handy. I wouldn't have worked construction if I wasn't illegal, you know. And you um, speak English. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's I speak English. Class. 
Yeah, and I got an education in the U.S. Uh, for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, that, if I attribute that to being illegal. I guess, it, yeah, I was there illegally. So I, everything from the U.S. I got, I guess, comes from being illegal. So, yeah. What is your message? Right, like the majority of the listeners are German, right? Um, what would you tell someone who who has like reservations about immigrants? Um, from someone who experienced the, this life from your side, right? Yeah. So there's a, there's just, there's a, there's this singer. His name is Jorge Drexler. Do you know him? No, I haven't heard of him. Yeah. He's a, he's a musician. He's really good. He's from Uruguay, but he's been living in Spain for a long time. And he has a song and like the chorus of the song says, uh, yo no soy de aquí, pero tú tampoco. And pretty much the whole song talks about like evolution and how humans have been migrating throughout since the beginning of time. And it's this beautiful experience of diversity and everything. And like in the course of the song, pretty much the translator says, I'm not from here, but neither are you. You know, um, Germany was comprised of several different uh, kingdoms and fiefdoms and stuff like originally, like it, then it was part of like the Prussian empire, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And it went through so many different stages in its history to like what being German is today or being American or Venezuelan or something is, is a recent phenomenon. So anybody with reservations, I would just start from there. Just like take a look at history, see how we've developed, how everything is kind of by chance or luck. And you were born where you were born and it was not your choice. And the same applies to these other people, you know? So, um, <clears throat> I think if we can just understand where we come from and it's pretty much the same place and we've always been moving and um, we can look at another person and understand that we could possibly be in their situation at any given point because the stability of a nation is never guaranteed. Um, yeah. Humility. Just to have humility. It's just pure random chance that you were born inside of this geographical space and simply for that reason, you have a passport that allows you to travel to 200 nations. Congratulations for your luck. Right? And then unfortunately, other people were not as lucky. It's just random chance. So I think just to have humility about that, like I didn't, des- I didn't, I didn't earn my Canadianness. <laughs> I didn't earn like any of these things that were simply given to me. Um, and now I have it and I'm grateful for it. And now what good can I create with what is it available to me? Right? What good can I do with the fact that I have this Canadian passport, that I'm allowed to live in Germany, that I'm allowed to move in, in different spaces with different people? That's, I think, what I try to do with the gifts that life has given me. And I think having grown up illegally, honestly, and this, I going back to that question, is the biggest benefit I think of having grown up illegally is just having sympathy for people who are in the outskirts of society growing up in the outskirts of society like you you get that perspective and you see how people look at you and treat you and so like now today I'm in a much more privileged position and I'm very comfortable and I feel like I'm doing great in life you know Uh, but at the same time I still see people in those positions and it's like dude wow yes I've been there yeah, That's hard. You know, this person's going through it. Shoes. Walk a mile and shut yeah. someone's shoes. And exactly. I think that's what I hope people get from this is like if they listen to your story and say, okay, this is a real human being. 
with real emotions, with real dreams. And this was the situation he was in. And uh, can I treat this person as a human being or am I going to treat him as a threat, as my enemy, someone to be afraid of? That's the question. Thank you, Danny. Wow. Thank you, George. I really appreciate this, man. Seriously. No, we'll, we'll do this again. It's been great catching up. Yeah, of course. Whenever you want, dude, I'm, I'm definitely open for this. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, dude. That was my interview with Danny. I didn't ask him to change the way he speaks, so it might be possible that you didn't understand everything. But I hope you understood the main message. My question for you is, if you were to immigrate to another country, what would be the main criteria? For example, the weather, economic situation, love, etc. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. If you want to support the podcast, consider leaving a tip. I published an online course to help Germans correct their most common mistakes in English. You can click on the link in the show notes for more information. That's it for this episode. Also, bis nächstes Mal.